As I told you before that the person of the Holy Spirit always reveals the person of Christ, and we want to acknowledge up front that there are many perspectives in the body of Christ about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does, and I just simply want to acknowledge that tonight. I want to acknowledge the fact that all Christians do not agree on the topic that we're focusing on for the next five weeks. I want you to know that I'm aware of that. I also want you to know that what I'm aware of what camp that I'm in and what camp that I represent. There are those that come from a theological framework called cessationists. And those are people who, you know, they can come from different denominations, but that particular perspective means that the baptism with the Holy Spirit would not be the same as I'm going to present to you next week. They would also believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit primarily have been done away. Some of them think that God can do miracles or does miracles today. Of course, he's God, but does not in a consistent way or in a gifted way as Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and Ephesians 4 tell us. So they do, they do not believe that those things happen through believers in any consistent way in the world that we live in, that those things closed during the apostolic age. We are not in that camp. I am not teaching from that perspective. We are what you would call continuationists. Um, some people would use the term charismatic. You've heard me use the term Pentecostal. None of these terms fully represent our perspective. They're just trying to describe this very fact, and that is that we believe in the baptism with the Holy Spirit as a subsequent experience to salvation, and that is a baptism of power that marks us and equips us to live like Jesus and to represent him well, as we'll get to next week. But we also believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that all of those are functional, operational, and he is giving those gifts to his body to glorify Christ and to build up the people of God. And so our theology concerning the person and the work of the Holy Spirit is to follow the continuationist perspective. Uh, we are aware of other people's viewpoints. We will not primarily go over those. So it's very vital that you just sort of get that up front. But I'm gonna go over a few, a few things in our lesson called the introduction of the Holy Spirit. And the first is an overview of who the Holy Spirit is, what his role is, and why, is, why it is important for us to know about him and relate to him personally. That's pretty much what I'm gonna cover tonight. And it's gonna take me all the rest of our time because like I said, it's just a lot to cover. So let's start with this. Who is the Holy Spirit? That's the question you're asking. That's the answer that I'm giving. And I'm gonna start in Genesis chapter one and verse one through Five, because you see the person of the Holy Spirit right in the beginning of the Bible. So that's where we're going to start. And here's what Genesis 1 says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And listen to this. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. And you might be asking, why are we starting with this passage? It's because of the picture that you see here concerning the Holy Spirit. The first thing you see is that he is God's spirit. And this is another way of saying he is God. And we're going to go over that thoroughly. The second is that you see at the very beginning of creation, the Holy Spirit is present. 
It says that he's hovering over the waters. And the other part of it is that he's powerful. Notice that when it says, then God said, let there be light. But right before God spoke, it tells us this very important detail. The Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters of the face of the earth. Here's the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit is moving. The next verse, God said, let there be light. Who brought the light out? The Father spoke, but the Holy Spirit was the active agent of the Trinity. And you're going to find this to be the case throughout Scripture. When God speaks, the Holy Spirit moves. He is the active working agent of the Trinity. He brings about what the Word of God says. And we're going to prove that through Scripture constantly. So this is a really powerful summary picture of who the Holy Spirit is. And so we want to define that and use that sort of as a grid. He is God, he is present, and he is powerful. So the first part of who the Holy Spirit is, is he is the person of God. Now, what makes Christianity stand apart from other religions is not just that we believe our God is creator, he's eternal, he's perfect, or that he is spirit, which he is, but Christians believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is unique to us. Christians historically believe that God is Trinitarian in nature, and that is fundamental to our faith. This is a cardinal doctrine. It's what we call orthodox doctrine. If you deviate from this, it makes you not a Christian. I had somebody ask me recently, they said to me, Ben, can you be a Christian and not believe in the Holy Spirit? And there's an answer to that. The answer is no. Now, can you come to Christ and not know what you believe about a lot of things? Yes, but you cannot believe anti. You cannot believe against the Trinitarian nature of God. You can't believe Jesus is merely a man and the Holy Spirit is a force and the Father is Yahweh and he's the one over it all. At some point in Christianity, you've got to reconcile the fact that the Bible calls the Holy Spirit God multiple times and it certainly references Jesus as God. And so we don't have another way to communicate what it is that we're trying to say other than the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Is it a mystery? Of course it is. Can you articulate it to most people? No, you can't. That's why Augustine said something like this. If you deny the Trinity, you will lose your soul. But if you try to explain the Trinity, you will lose your mind. (laughs) And he's right. He's right about that because there's a mystery behind what we're talking about, the Trinitarian nature of God. But here's what we would say. The Trinity is one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they are each fully and equally God, co-equal and co-eternal. Now listen carefully. By saying persons, we do not mean that God is a person like a human, but personal in that scripture reveals Father, Son, and Spirit and they each speak, and they feel, and they act, and they think. They are not impersonal forces. Each member of the Trinity is fully God in that they all share divine attributes. They are equal in the sense that none of them is more God than the other. And so when it comes to the doctrine of the Trinity, we need to keep this in mind. The Holy Spirit is God. Scripture says he can be resisted. He can be grieved. He can be blasphemed, and so much more. His first name is holy, which means consecrated. This speaks of his character. He is clean. He is pure. He is sacred. 
The second part that we reference him as is spirit. This word means breath or wind. It speaks of his nature and that he's supernatural and that he's powerful. There are several direct references in the Bible that declare specifically the Holy Spirit is God. And you're dying to know where that is. And I am going to share that with you. And here's the first one. There are many, I'm just gonna share two. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Here's what Paul says to the Corinthian church. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, image from glory to glory. Now listen, just as from the Lord, the spirit. So the term Lord is a title for God and that is being referenced to the Holy Spirit. It couldn't be more clear. The Lord, the spirit, The Lord is the Spirit. These are very clear references. Here's another one that also is clear. Acts chapter five and verse one. I don't have time to unpack the theology of Acts chapter five, but it certainly deserves a lot of time. And you wanna know that, we'll do it a different different time. In fact, I, I defer to a wonderful commentary on the book of Acts by Dr. Steve Schell. Go ahead, it's in our bookstore. Verse one, but a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself. With his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Listen to this. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? Listen, you have not lied to men, but to God. Here's a reference. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. Well, technically, physically speaking, he did lie to Peter. He physically lied to Peter. But Peter was saying that There's a representation here in this room as a community, as a Christian community in the early church, and you have lied to the Spirit of God and the Spirit Spirit is God. This is what he's saying. You have not lied to men, but to God. And so this is the essence of who God is. He is uh, the Holy Spirit. Number two, he is the presence of God. Starting with our passage in Genesis, we, we see the Holy Spirit present there in the day of creation. He's present, he's active, and throughout the Bible, there are all these metaphors. I'm not sure if you've read all of them. Maybe you've read all of them. Maybe you've memorized them. I'm sure you have. But these are the metaphors that reference the Holy Spirit. And what they are is not definitions, they're descriptions. See, there's a difference between a definition and a description. And please remember this. This is just a grammar lesson. I know you don't need it, but I'm gonna give it to you. A definition is what something is or what someone is. A description is what they're like. Sometimes we get those confused and that's not helpful theologically. So there are metaphors that are trying to describe what the Holy Spirit is like. And here's the ones that I could find. The first is breath. This is the most basic meaning of the Hebrew word ruach, which means breath. That's the word for spirit. And there's a massive amount of scriptures that refer the breath of God. We'll come back to that later. The second would be wind. Jesus compared the Spirit's work to wind. You remember in John 3, and he said, the Holy Spirit is like this. You hear the wind, you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. This is what the Holy Spirit is like. In other words, in our natural mind, we can't comprehend the Holy Spirit. He's much like wind. 
There's also references in the Bible to fire, and this is the Holy Spirit. We see the fire in Exodus. Jesus said he would baptize with fire, and we see a fire come in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. We see wind and we see fire. And that was indicative to the people of Israel back to the Exodus when they saw wind and fire. Those were metaphors. Those were symbols of the Holy Spirit. We also see cloud. Cloud, we see in Exodus, the temple and the dedication of the temple in the book of Kings. You might remember when Solomon was finished uh, with building the temple, they dedicated the temple and it said it filled up with smoke. There was like a smoke, like a cloud, so much so that the priests could not minister. I don't know if they fell over or they ran out of the temple. I'm not exactly sure, but it speaks about this cloud. We also see this same cloud in the book of Revelation. The Holy Spirit is referenced like water. He is the one who washes and purifies. John chapter seven, it says, out of your innermost being will flow what? Rivers of living water. It's a description. The Holy Spirit wants to flow out of our life. We also see another metaphor, which is oil. In the Old Testament, the prophets, the priests, the kings were anointed with oil before they could serve before the Lord. The oil represented the anointing. It was a type of consecration. We will anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. We're setting you apart for holy service. So the oil represented the spirit. We also see in James 5, when you anoint people with oil in the name of the Lord, you pray the prayer of faith and God will raise the sick person up. Why? Is the oil anointed itself or does it represent something of the anointing? That's exactly what we're talking about. Another metaphor or the final one I'll share with you is a seal. Just as a shepherd brands his sheep with his own distinctive seal, so God puts his mark of ownership on believers. We read this in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4. It says that he seals us with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. We are sealed by God through the Holy Spirit. And so we know that he is present. And what did I tell you already? He is God. He is present. We also want to finally close this part of it with he is the power of God. In Genesis, remember, God said, let there be light. In John chapter one, we see this reference to Jesus. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And if you drop down to verse 14 in John one, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's what we see. The spirit of God was at the beginning of creation. When it says, let there be light, he was the one that was at work. He's also the one that is at work in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived Christ, the son. So here you have father, son, and Holy Spirit. And these references are constant throughout the Bible. So when people talk about Jesus not being God or they talk about the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force, they don't read the Bible, not accurately. And it's important for us to read the Bible. You can't you can't read the scriptures and see the Trinity functioning, working together and not step back in this mysterious awe and say, well, they must be God. You can't really articulate that. It's very difficult to do so. People have tried and failed, but we just, we just accept what the Bible says, even when we can't fully articulate. And by the way, if God is higher and greater than us, don't you think there are some things we just won't be able to understand? I can accept that. I just can accept that. I know it's hard for us sometimes in the Western world with our Western mindset wanting to build boxes for everything, but hey, there it is. Genesis 2, 2 and chapter, chapter 2 and verse 7, 
it says at the beginning of creation that God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. Do you remember this? First of all, God is an artist and you just have to think of him like this. He's creative. He's the creator, right? We, we are not like him in, in his power and his essence, but we are created like him. And so we, we too are creative, not the creator. But it says that he fashioned Adam out of the dust of the ground and he breathed into Adam. He breathed, that word breath, that ruach, he breathed his spirit into Adam and it says he became a living soul. It says he became a living soul, the breath of God. Throughout the Old Testament, God empowered people with his spirit and they were able to do great things. What am I talking about? Well, number one, in Exodus 31, you see the temple artist. I mean, you just have to look back and see that not only the temple, but the artwork that they designed, the things that God had them do. There was an anointing of the spirit of God upon them. He caused them to have creativity and they were able to do things that people would not be able to do. It's incredible. Actually says that in Exodus 31. In the book of Joshua, Deuteronomy 34, we also see prophets in Ezekiel 37, the Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would prophesy. They would say things that they could not know. And this came from the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We also see the promise of the new covenant is given in Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37. And this is connected to the Holy Spirit being poured out. The new covenant is made possible by our sponsor, the Holy Spirit. This is what Ezekiel and Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 33. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived a son. I told you about that. Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River and the Spirit came upon him, it says. The heavens were opened and descended upon him was the Spirit. It says in the form or like the form of a dove. And really what this reference is, is you could actually see the descending power of the Spirit that literally came upon Jesus. Visible, tangible, we saw the power of the Spirit, or at least we have this referenced in Scripture. Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promised power of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8. You remember this, Jesus said, go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise of my Father. And really, then he said, when you receive the promise of the Father, don't wait, go, but don't go until you wait and receive. Jesus wanted them to have the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we go to Acts 2. And on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 believers that were gathered together praying and they received the power of the spirit. It says a mighty rushing wind. It says tongues like as a fire rested on each one of them. They spoke in tongues, they prophesied. They got really, really excited. People thought they were drunk, but they were really filled with God. And they recognized something great and wonderful and awesome had happened to them and they rejoiced. That's why people thought that they were drunk because they were so joyful and excited that a moment of history had come upon them because 700, 800 years before that day, it was prophesied that this would happen. You'd be pretty excited if tonight God decided to fulfill a prophecy that was 800 years old with the 120 people that are here. I would be pretty excited. Most of you, if you have a frown, it would turn upside down. You know, it would, you'd be smiling. Okay, you had a bad day at work, you'd have a great day at church. That's what I'm talking about though. The Holy Spirit is also the giver of gifts to and through the body of Christ. So he is the power. He is the one that gives the power to prophesy, the power to heal the sick. In fact, there is nothing that we do that isn't done through the work of the Holy Spirit. So whenever it is that we seek to pray for each other, whenever it is we seek to evangelize, whenever it is we seek to do something in the name of Jesus, what we're saying, it is done by the power of the Spirit. 
Paul said, I, I will not boast in myself because what I do, I do unto Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is wonderful news here. That means that anything God asks you to do, he gives you the power to do it. And so that's pretty exciting. You don't have to be a miracle producer. You don't have to be somebody that's incredibly gifted, lots of skills, all of these things that the world is looking for. All you have to do is have God. And if you have God, you can do what God says. That's a beautiful thing. I like that deal. Do this, and here's what you need to do it. I like that. It's the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also the producer of fruit, which is the manifestation of Christ's character. You remember Galatians chapter five? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. I think I got them all, people. I didn't even look at anything there. I'm pretty proud of myself. Anyways, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I wanna tell you something. That's not the fruit of our best day. That's not because I've been a Christian for 30 years. That's when we learn to abide in Christ, when we're connected to the vine, when we learn to have fellowship with Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit will flow through our life. It's not something that you just grow into. It's not something that you go somewhere and get. It's what you abide in as you have a relationship with Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit flows through, not just grows through, but flows through our life. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It is not the fruit of our maturity. This is why Jesus said, apart from me, you can do that was in the context of talking about branches and the vine. And so when we separate ourselves from Christ and the longer we get, the farther we get away from him, the longer it is that it goes, listen, the worse we're going to be. You can be a Christian for 20, 30 years. And all of a sudden you start going, you start going down this road and you know better. Knowledge isn't what gets you there. Knowledge isn't what keeps you there. It's our action. It's our relationship. It's our staying committed to and connected to the person of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that, that's how it works. It's a dependency that we have. He is the power of God. And so now I want to talk just a little bit about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the first things that the Holy Spirit does is he convicts. The Spirit convicts. We read in Exodus 20, God meets with Moses on Mount Sinai and he gives them the Torah, the law, God wrote the law on stone tablets, but Moses brought it down the mountain into the, to the, he brought it to the people. And so we know that the spirit of God, as Moses was up with the Lord, the spirit of God was the active agent of the Trinity. He was the one that brought about the writing of the Torah. In a sense, you could say the Holy Spirit was the one that wrote the Torah, the one that gave it to Moses originally. This is the active agent of the Trinity. And there's a lot of passages that talk to us about this. This is way later, like in the New Testament. Listen to this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Peter says, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. It's not subjective. It didn't just come from a person. You know how that's the critique today? The Bible was written by man and it's distorted by man and it's all about people. That's an easy thing to say, but look what Peter says. Peter is an eyewitness of Christ. He said, it was not a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But listen to this. But men were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. There's a word picture in Greek that's attached to that. It's like when a boat is out in the middle of the lake and there's no wind. It's just like sitting there. 
but it's when it was moved by the wind and it, it got all the way across to the other side. This is what he's talking about. When the spirit of God moved upon these writers of scripture, then they wrote, and he's speaking about the Old Testament. It was not a, of human will. The scripture was brought about by the spirit of God. We have the same thing highlighted in 2 Timothy 3.16. Look what he says here. This is Paul talking to Timothy about the Old Testament. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. The Greek word is theonoustos, and it means God-breathed. This is a literal translation. All scripture is God-breathed. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the spirit of God. He's the one that brought this about through human authors, over 40 of them, over a period of 1,500 years. And if you read the Bible, you see the continuity where they didn't have planes, trains, automobiles, newspapers, or emails. And somehow, in some magical, radical way, that this just happened happened to be, right? This is just some really great coincidence. No, friends, this is God. God did this. God inspired all these different authors. And that's why there's this thing called continuity. Continuity, Continuity, this framework that you can actually study and see how Daniel goes with this and this goes with that. I mean, it's incredible. It really is. I mean, come on. I just want to encourage you to read the Bible because it isn't just from some human author. It's from God, God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God to speak to our conscience about our need for a savior. And I could talk to you about Galatians 3 and John 16, Jesus says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, he's personifying the spirit. It's not it, but when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you no longer see me in concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I'm just trying to say the Holy Spirit brings about conviction. Some of you have perfected the art of conviction in your life. You need to take a step back. The Holy Spirit's better at it than you, and he does a really good job. So this is what we know is he is the one that brought about the word of God, and he is the one that uses the word of God to speak to our conscience. And when he speaks to our conscience, we are convicted. Now, not everybody responds the way that we ought to, but he still convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and he's pretty good at his job. The second thing that he does is the Holy Spirit regenerates people. When we give our life to Jesus, he takes up residence inside of us. Now, this is essential to understand for the Christian faith. And in systematic theology, we go over this really well in our doctrine of salvation. But in Ephesians 2.5, it says this, that we are dead in our sins and our transgressions, which means we are in need of spiritual life from within. You and I are born into the world spiritually dead. That's because of the fall. That's because of Adam and Eve. That's called the fall. And because of that, there's a curse of sin on us. us. This is why Jesus had to come. Jesus had to come and give his life in our place. He took death for us. He rose from the dead, proving he was God's one and only son. He ascended to the right hand of the father, promised that he would come back. In the meantime, he said, I want you to preach the kingdom of God until I return. And we have a whole theology that says everyone who places their faith in him, the Holy Spirit will come to live inside of them. And this is what he does. He regenerates. He makes us 
alive. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and he makes our spirit alive, meaning we are no longer spiritually dead. And there are a lot of passages that talk about this. You could look at John 3 and you could look at Ephesians 1 when we talk about the Holy Spirit seals us until the day of redemption. So we want to recognize the work of the Spirit in salvation as supernatural throughout the entire process. He convicts us. He shows us our need for a Savior because we have sin. He reveals Christ to us. He's the one that makes us alive, takes up residence inside of us when we give our lives to Jesus. I don't know if you see this or not, but the Spirit of God is at work all over the place in everything that God does. You're not convinced, I'm gonna keep going. The Spirit reveals and he illuminates. Not only does the Holy Spirit convict us, lead us to Christ, but he opens our eyes continually. He provides illumination. He shows us the truth of the scripture, meaning that we're not just reading the Bible, like what does this mean? And who wrote this? And who did they write it to? We need to learn how to study the Bible, but if you just study it with a method and you have a really good method of study, you still need illumination. You still need the author of the word to reveal the word. He's the only one that can breathe on it and help us understand it. So if we don't have a relationship with the author, they're just words on a page. But when he breathes on our mind and he breathes on our heart and he opens up the word to us, that's where the power comes from. And listen to this in Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, listen, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. He's talking to Christians and he's telling them, I'm praying that he would give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. Why? I pray that he would open the eyes of your heart that they may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of your calling. He goes on from there. I pray the Holy Spirit would open your eyes. He's still opening our eyes. How many of you have been reading the Bible at some point and then all of a sudden you see what you did not see? Was that just because you had a good day? Come on, let's just, are you going to brag on yourself or are you going to brag on the Holy Spirit? Were you just having a good journal day and you're like, wow, that's incredible. I've been reading that for a long time. Can't believe I didn't see that before, but today's a new day. Are you, are you bragging on yourself? Or are you saying the Holy Spirit illuminated the passage to you? So it's a good idea that when you and I open our Bibles, that we ask the Holy Spirit to show us what it even means. You think that's a good idea? Some of you, that was a pro tip right there, a Bible study pro tip, all right? While you're journeying, Holy Spirit, would you show me what this means? Because I've got no clue. And he says, I got your back. Another thing that the Holy Spirit does is he sanctifies. The Holy Spirit works in and through our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. The word sanctify means to set us apart. He makes us holy. I mean, think about it. What is, what is his name? Holy Spirit. So if he's going to do anything in our life, he's going to make us holy. You and I try really good. Uh, we try really hard to make our lives so holy, and yet we are terrible at it. But if the Holy Spirit leads us, guides us, empowers us, equips us, helps us, guess what? He can help us do what we can't do. Isn't that right? 
So man, do you need some holiness in your life? Do you need to be more consecrated? Do you need purity of mind, of body, of heart? Do you need that? Of course you need that in your life. Are you just gonna try harder when you wake up tomorrow? Are you just gonna say, today's a new day and I'm gonna get with it and I'm gonna finally do what I know to do? Or are you gonna ask the Holy Spirit to help you be what God calls you to be? See, this is what I love about Christianity that's so different from other world religions. It's that God calls us to be these people that are darned, they're impossible. You read the book and you're like, there's no way. I know people and I know me. There's no way I'm gonna be able to live the life the word calls me to. But that's when we call on the Holy Spirit. That's when we ask God for his help. That's when we ask him to fill us. That's what we're looking for. What I love about the old Pentecostal books that I read, books on revival and all that, is they talk about the baptism with the Holy Spirit was not just so that we would speak in tongues and prophesy and have really great goosebumps and wonderful meetings, but that the Holy Spirit didn't only baptize us for ministry, but he baptized us for sanctification. And it's one of the things they constantly would talk about is that we were not able to live a holy life, but when the Holy Spirit baptized us, he immersed us into his power, we were able to then live the way that God called us to. I love reading those, the books of the old saints when they talk, especially the ones in the, the late 1800s, the early 1900s, they would talk a lot about being sanctified through the power of the Holy Spirit. We also see in the Bible that the Holy Spirit empowers. You may not know what number I'm on. It's number six on your document. If you're online, you don't have a document, you can always email Jillian and she'll send it to you. I don't, if there's 150 of you, just send her 150 emails. She'll send it back to you, I promise, on her behalf. The Holy Spirit empowers us. In the Old Testament, we read about how prophets, priests, kings, judges, they were all empowered for service. And this was positional. I'm gonna talk to you about this next week. You had to be a prophet, priest, king, or judge in order to receive the anointing or the power of the Spirit. One of the reasons why the people in the book of Acts chapter two in the day of Pentecost, one of the reasons why they were so excited was because none of them were prophets, priests, kings, or judges, but all of them received the anointing of the Spirit. All of them received something that was reserved for people of high position called by God. But now it's relational and not positional. We'll get into that next week. But it's such a shift in the Bible. It's such a shift in covenants. And we see that from scripture. And so Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Coming upon you is different than living inside you. When you're saved, when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. Jesus is talking about here is the Holy Spirit coming upon us. It is the exact same language of the Old Testament where it talks about the anointing being anointed for service. And so we know he lives in and he comes upon. We'll talk about that next week in greater and greater detail. But what I can tell you is that you and I never stop with our need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. If you want an encouragement in your prayer life, let me tell you a prayer that I pray and that you should pray every day. This is, this is just a biblical prayer. Fill me with the Holy Spirit today. You just wake up in the morning and say, hello, Jesus, please fill me with the Holy Spirit. Because you know, without him, you're not going to have a great day. He's got fruit. He's got power. He's got gifts. He sanctifies you. He does all of that. You better ask him to fill your life in the morning because it might be too late by lunchtime. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of bad stuff can happen by the time you get to the coffee pot. So you might want to start before you get there. Coffee is not the anointing. The Holy Spirit is. Coffee just is good. 
That's all it is. Coffee is a nice little treat. It is not the anointing, all right? Some of you need it. Don't get offended, all right? Number seven, the Spirit gives gifts. We're going to talk about this later on in the series. But the Scripture teaches we believe every Christian has a spiritual gift. Uh, we're also going to break down and talk about how we can minister by all the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. Romans 12, those are going to be motivational gifts. Everyone has one. 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to talk about the manifestation gifts. We can learn these. We can minister in these. We're going to talk about Ephesians 4. These are ministry gifts. Some of us have a ministry gift, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. There are five. We call them fivefold. We're going to talk about those. That's going to be the end of our series. But he is the one that capacitates us for ministry. He, gifts, he gives us gifts. And with those gifts, we build up the body of Christ and we reveal Jesus to the world. Those are the two things that spiritual gifts do. We have a lot of ground to cover. And that's just what I'll say about that. And I'm going to land here and then we're going to close. And so Jared is making his way forward because he knows about what time it is. The Spirit guides. Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit as our guide. I love this metaphor, this picture of a guide. A guide is somebody who takes you through trails, tells you what to eat, what not to eat, how far it's, you're going to go, how long it's going to take. He's our guide. He guides us into all truth. Jesus said in John 16, verse 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you that which is to come. According to Jesus, the Holy Spirit guides us into what? All truth. This is his job. He wants us to know the truth. And Jesus said, if we know the truth, it shall make us free. The Holy Spirit's the one that's going to do that. And by the way, if you're a Christian, he lives in you. And if you're baptized with the Spirit, he has come upon you. And now we know that he is there to guide you. I love this. I don't know how else uh, we, we could feel equipped other than to read the Scripture and to know who he is and what he does. I hope I've convinced you at this point because I gave you eight things that the Holy Spirit does. And if you need one more of them, I'll give you a whole book. That's where you got to go because it talks a lot more about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit we see in Acts chapter 13, this is a very powerful verse in the book of Acts. This was before they were planting churches and going across the whole known world at the time, the Gentile world. But this is when the apostle Paul had already come to faith in Christ. And he's at a city called Antioch and they're waiting upon the Holy Spirit to speak to them. But look what it says in verse two. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Did you know that when people put their hands on each other, that this isn't, this isn't me releasing something to you? Like there's, we've talked about this before. There's like no magic in the hands. Like when they put their hands on people in the Old Testament, it a lot of times was indicative of this word ordain. The word ordain in Hebrew means to fill the hands. That's what it means. It means to fill the hands. So in other words, when I put my hands upon you, whatever my hands are filled with will be imparted to you. And so when we look at what they did in the Old Testament, I think it's Paul would say, don't be hasty with the laying on of hands and sharing the sins of others. Don't commit what this is to people who sh shouldn't be 
empowered or sent out into ministry too soon. Because what you're doing is you're actually asking for an impartation of the Holy Spirit. You're not just physically endorsing them. I mean, that's one element of it. There's an endorsing that happens, but it's that which fills the hands. When you put your hands on someone and you're praying for them and you're saying, God, I pray that you would impart the ministry, the power, the life of the spirit and send them in power to do your work. This isn't just a validation. We're actually asking for something spiritual to happen. So Paul's saying, don't do this too soon to people because they might not be ready. Don't validate them but don't pray for the spirit impartation upon their life. You know, in the charismatic church today, sometimes we go way too far. And I just think it's foolishness, to be honest with you. People are always looking for, you know, they do these crazy things. I, I won't go into it because it's, I'll go down a rabbit trail. But I think it's foolishness, to be honest with you. Sometimes people just, they want the impartation of the spirit, but they don't want to live an obedient life to Jesus. It's ridiculous. And that's why Paul even said that to Timothy. He said, don't be hasty because you don't, if you don't know that person and you don't know their life and you don't know what they're doing and where they're going and how they're living, don't lay your hands on them and ask for more if they're not already living in what they have. Don't do that. Wait until that proper time. And so when we pray for people when they're sick and we lay hands on the sick, that's not the same thing that Paul's talking about. But in the charismatic church, what we've done is we've just called, we just we just don't care. We just sort of whip it up and we just think we just, we just do this all the time. And I just want more impartation and I, I just want more of this. No friend, we, <laughs> we need to learn how to live by the power of the Holy Spirit in our own life. We've got to learn how to live in what we do have if we want more. I'll tell you what, you don't want more if you're not living in what you have. There are some things you don't want, like don't ask to be an apostle, okay? If you can't even live in your job with integrity. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, seriously, like we don't want to be a prophet, all right, if we can't even tell the truth. It's not what you want. I, I want the gift of prophecy. Oh, start by telling the truth with your in your life. Start by being honest. Start be by being on time. You know, start, start by doing some things in your life. Steward the natural and contend for the supernatural. So what we're asking for in the Holy Spirit, and we say we want more, we want his power, we want his life. We want more than his power. We want sanctification. We want consecration. We want more than gifts. We want the fruit. We want all of it. We want the full person and work of the Holy Spirit is what we're talking about tonight. He's the person of God. He is holy. And when he comes, he doesn't just come with power. He comes with so much more than power. He's the person of God. He's the presence of God, and he's the power of God of God. And we want all that he is for all that we are. Isn't that right? Amen. If you're not convinced, you can email Jared at nwcfoursquare.org. I want to close by praying for more of the Holy Spirit, but don't think when we pray for more that it's just miracle signs, wonders. That's, we're praying for whatever he wants. What if the Holy Spirit wants us to live a more consecrated life? What if the Holy Spirit is driving us to a, a place of more integrity and he's the one that sets us apart, sanctifies us, consecrates us? Friends, what if he wants to do something entirely different than we're thinking about when we pray for just the, the ministry of the Spirit? He's, he's just so much broader than sometimes what we reduce him to. Isn't that right? And God wants us to broaden our view, our theology, to see all that he is and welcome all of his ministry into our life. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, 
check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School. Thank you.